Welcome to the Randy Selzer Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss important topics for buyers, sellers, and investors in the Toronto area real estate market. Here's your host, Randy Selzer. Hello, everybody. It's Randy Selzer here. Welcome back to my YouTube channel. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Jason Marino is joining us. He is a lawyer with a firm down in Austin, Texas, although he's based in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he has a lot of experience in the real estate sector, both as an attorney and also as an investor. He's done a lot of work in real estate himself. So welcome, Jason. Thanks for being on board today. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. No problem. Nice to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, just a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you went to school, a little bit about your sure. background in, sure. in the legal profession. Yeah. So uh, I'm originally from the East Coast, uh, mid-Atlantic region. So New Jersey, South New Jersey. Uh, grew up there, went to college in D.C., um, then abruptly decided that things were too expensive on the East Coast for law school. And so decided to move to the Midwest where things are a lot, a lot more reasonable. Um, so uh, did my Juris Doctorate in St. Louis, Missouri at uh, Washington University. Okay. Um, began work very, very briefly uh, with a, a a plaintiff's law firm. Uh, I don't know what they'd be called in, in Canada, but basically contingency law, where you basically you front the cost of, of the lawsuit and then you take a percentage. Found out very quickly that it wasn't for me. Um, and then in after about six months, so this would have been 2011, I began my career in real estate law and I've been there ever since in different niches. So now I'm a real estate attorney, but I specialize in asset protection. So for the last couple of years, I've been with Royal Legal Solutions. Before that, I was with a mid-sized firm, uh, worked with a lot of commercial development, mineral development, energy, that type of thing. So uh, good broad-based experiences. And then in that interim, uh, around 2014, I I think probably like a, a lot of uh, your viewers and people who invest, I kind of fell into real estate investing without knowing it. I had a house that was a bit too big uh, for my wife and I, and we decided to just rent out some rooms in it because we were in an oil um oil field rich area and so there were a lot of people that were coming in and um, rooms for rent were, were uh, in high demand so we kind of fell into it ended up paying my mortgage that way uh, during the time that i was living there and figured out that you know this is a really good source of income and then from that just kind of spiraled off into short-term investing long-term investing um uh, as short-term rentals long-term rentals medium term now as well um did some wholesaling as well and some other work and and still do uh, so I've had kind of a broad array of different things. So, but it's been fun, very fun. Oh, you're you're gonna fit right in here, man. Let me tell you, you're gonna fit right in. So, yeah, Jack uh, Montre, master nut. <laughs> no, I don't say that. I don't believe that. But um, most of my audience is within Canada, although we do draw people from all over, from the U.S. and also from sure. other countries as well. And uh, you and I talked just briefly before we started the uh, recording today that there are, I mean, there are a few differences in the real estate market between the U.S. and Canada. Uh, not too many, like a lot of the stuff is the same. And when you're an investor, you're looking at the same sort of things. Uh, sure. The banking banking system is a little bit different. Uh, we mm -hmm. talked briefly about the mortgages in Canada, uh, in the U.S. Again, for the benefit of people listening in and maybe especially for Americans listening in, uh, you guys typically go out, you get a 30-year mortgage and that mortgage rate is fixed for 30 years, Very the way it works. Up in Canada, it's a little different where we have a 30-year amortization. So the loan is paid off over 30 years. But typically, typically every five years, the interest rate it renews. It has to be renewed at current rates. So okay. 
Right now, the situation we're in is that five years ago, a typical mortgage rate up here was 2%. A lot of people got mortgages at 2%. And now they're having to renew at 4.5%. So it's a a problem. And for investors too, it's made a difference where uh, where there was positive positive cash flow before. Now with the higher rates that they have to renew at, uh, it's created some issues where maybe there isn't positive cash flow. Oddly enough, I was expecting any, uh, I don't want to say it was a crash, but I was expecting a big slowdown. There was a slight slowdown when these rates, rate increases started last year in March of 2022. Uh, and it did slow down, but the real estate market, market up here is just booming. Like it's unbelievable. Uh, Toronto, especially, and Vancouver out on the West Coast of Canada. Sure. Uh, we have a lot of immigration here, lots of legal immigration coming in and it's it's just unbelievable and in fact last year i read a recent report that a million people were admitted into canada last year and our 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 population is only 36 million so proportionately it's huge and those are official immigrants we let in about a quarter million ukrainian refugees which is i guess the right thing to do plus foreign students plus foreign workers just like you guys have foreign workers we have foreign workers as well and it added up to almost a million people the problem in the big cities in canada is that they have not managed that process and i'm i'm a pro-immigration guy pro-legal immigration guy but um nobody stopped to think that well maybe we don't have enough houses we don't have enough dwellings for all these people to live in so we've got tremendous price appreciation here uh, tremendous uh, rents for if you're an investor uh, right now in the city of Toronto, if you want to rent a condo, like a little 600 square foot condo, you're looking at about $3,000 a month oh, wow. oh, for, a six, for 600 square feet downtown. So that's crazy. I think mm-hmm. from an investment point of view, there's some great returns to be made. But the problem also is that because prices are so high, a lot of investors have been looking further afield just to find sure. cheaper stuff. A lot of them have gone out to Alberta, which is a Western Canadian province, okay. nor- north of Texas, basically. So yeah, yeah, I know. Have- so I've done some work in, in Calgary with uh, with with uh, oil companies out of there. So yeah, I think that's, that's Alberta, right? That's it. That's exactly where it is. Yeah, and the, the prices there had been a bit depressed for a while, but not anymore because a lot of people from other parts of Canada have been buying, snapping okay. them up there like there's no tomorrow. Sure. So what do you want to talk about today? That's my preamble. I tend to ramble on a lot, but I'm going to shut up eventually and let you do the talking. Uh, One of the uh, suggested topics was how do you protect yourself if you're an investor? Are there ways to sort of shield yourself? Because in real estate, there's always a chance that something could go wrong and somebody could want to sue you or something. Are there ways that investors can protect their assets uh, from that sort of litigation, something like that? Sure, sure. And obviously, this is American from an, an American standpoint, but I do think that the legal systems are, are at least vaguely similar, you know, coming pretty, from pretty from, close. From, yeah. And I, I do have uh, some experience in, in some of the other, well, one really, uh, British Commonwealth country. I lived in Belize for a while. And so that, I feel, oh, yeah. feel like the, okay. the systems are probably vaguely similar in, in all those those former Commonwealth countries. And, and I'll just group the states for that. Um but yeah, in the states, there's there's a, a few different methods, and it really depends on on what you're investing in. But if we're talking about just let's just say standard single family houses, up to four units, um, that's kind right. of like considered one asset class. So we'll just call it single family. A lot of people will say it's multifamily, but um, probably the the most tried and true method would be the LLC is what we typically would would recommend in the states, just because of yeah. So the, it has a lot of versatility. Uh, Fairly low maintenance, low formality, easy to create. Um, 
it's not without maintenance, but compared to a, you know an S corporation or a C corporation, something like that with more formality, it's it's pretty low maintenance, low cost, um, and it offers the ability to you know bifurcate the assets into different pieces, kind of, kind of compartmentalize. That's kind of the idea. Um, so obviously, you go out on blogs and things, you're going to see all different types of things on whether it's separated by the individual asset, for instance, one house per LLC or batch them together, uh, batch them based on equity. So never put more than 10% of your, your equity in one particular LLC. So there are different kind of um, ideas and ways of going about it. I think probably what it boils down to, if I had to say is, uh, and this goes for your structure generally, um, it's going to be determined based on risk aversion, like anything else in life, you know, uh, more more maintenance and everything like that usually means more protection not always but usually so it you know you have to find that that fine line between convenience but also protection and that's different for everybody but but yeah there are certainly lots of ways but the llc would be kind of a tried and true i think it's been around since the 1970s officially in the states so it's it's a very very well used so just for our listeners uh, benefit so an llc is a limited liability corporation or company mm -hmm. Company, okay. Yeah, the okay. Yeah, so. Okay. So same here. Same here. Okay. And uh, and the cost. What's the cost to set up an LLC for somebody? Let's say it's an investor and, and they want to buy a fourplex and they're thinking, you know what? I want to have this separated in case something ever happens to my financial status. I want this safe. What would it cost? I realize it could be different in Canada. It's probably going to cost more here the way things typically are. But what would be the cost to set up a, a simple LLC in New Mexico? Yeah, so uh, New Mexico is a good example. Every state is different, which, yeah, it, that that's what kind of causes the issue. But I guess there is there's even variation within the state whether you want to. For some, some things, I would say probably the client could figure it out on their on their own and just do a filing. Um, so if you wanted to do just a very basic New Mexican LLC, I believe the filing fee is fifty or seventy five dollars. It's very low cost here. There's actually no annual maintenance, which is nice. You never have to do a check in. So yeah. But yeah, so most states require an annual check-in. Uh, New Mexico, Arizona, and a few others don't have any check-in. They're very hands-off. Um, mm -hmm. Some states have it every two years. Some states have it every 10 years. It varies. But there is a cost to that, or at least, at the very least, in your time. Um, sometimes there's an actual cost. But yeah, uh, and then at that point, if you did it yourself, yeah, really the only cost would be probably less than 100 and then you'd have to go out and get an EIN, which is uh, Employer Identification Number here. That would allow that entity to create its own bank account so that it can actually, you know, be independent of you. That, that's free. Um, if you did that yourself, you just apply on the IRS website, website here. Um, but that would give you a very raw kind of husk or shell of an LLC. At that point, yes, theoretically, you got an LLC for under $100, but you do need an operating agreement. And this is one of those things where you're going to hear a lot of different things where somebody will say, just go on the Internet and find a template. But uh, that's rarely the right way to do things i would say probably probably almost never is that the right way to do okay so the right, yeah the right way to do it would probably be to hire a professional or at the very least if you had i have some people who have you know they work one of their friends works with an attorney and then they'll share the template among each other but at least an attorney drafted it in your state who is licensed to do that so that way you at least have something that's going to work for you so Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're dealing with legal things, you got to have a lawyer drafted up for you. I think. Yeah. What would I mean, I mean, now? I won't hold you to this, but just ballpark figure. 
Uh, what would the cost be to hire an attorney or hire a lawyer to set something like that up, whether it's in Texas or New Mexico or just average yeah. ballpark? What would it be in sure. the U.S.? I would, and and that varies too. I, I hate giving you these gray answers, but um, ballpark yeah, only. Yeah, yeah. So attorneys bill generally on a, a billing hour, and so that varies state to state. So you being in Toronto is is essentially like our New York. That would be the most expensive place. Los Angeles would probably be as well. Well, the middle is where the rates are lower. I would say generally, if you're looking for something reasonable in the middle of the country, you could probably get it done from someplace between eight hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. That would be complete. Like they would, that would include the filing fees. And everything. so, New Mexico is is notoriously low. Texas is three hundred to file. So that filing fee would be built into that thousand to fifteen hundred. You know, number. you know so, what, Jason? It's it's still peanuts when you when you talk about protecting your assets. You know, it's like an insurance oh, yeah. policy in a way. And it, uh, right now up here to buy something like a fourplex, you're talking well north of, well, multi-million dollars to buy something like that. So to spend a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks or something, or a couple of grand to set it up to me, it's a no brainer, I think. Yeah, you've got yeah. To do an, ounce of, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So, and I've never seen, I can say in my 11, 12 years of experience, I've never seen a lawsuit cost less than what you know, these asset protection structures, it's usually not less than 10 grand. Like you're just not going to get away for less than that. So. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. And again, we're talking about two different countries here, but I think the concepts are the same. The sure. prices are, I will guarantee you they're going to be higher here. Yeah. I, just because everything costs more here. I don't Probably. know why. It's just, they, you know, they see us, we got these bullseyes as Canadians, they bullseyes on our forehead. They see us coming. Okay. Charge them double, whatever. But, sure. um, but the, the concept is the same. So that's great. So now I understand that you've done some investing yourself uh, personally, where you've done some uh, house flipping or some uh, wholesaling. And can you tell us a little bit about maybe some strategies that say an investor might be considering? Because again, the strategies are the same. Yeah, I think like you said, broad strokes purposes, I've worked with investors. We have a lot of investors that work with the firm who are from out of the country, especially Canadians. That's a huge group. But we also get Europeans and people from uh, other parts of the world as well. Um, but yeah, the concepts I, I believe are the same for the most part. Um, so wholesaling, I don't think there's really any way around it. You can automate it if you want, but, um, I have seen that with wholesalers that automate, at least in my area, a lot of those. So there's, it's all about context and the amount of volume that you can put out there. Obviously you just have to go and try to get, reach as many homeowners as possible. Obviously out of state homeowners or homes that are, in rough condition, possibly ones that aren't paying their taxes, things like that. Those would be kind of the the hot area to go for. But there is okay. quite a bit of competition in the wholesale arena now. So uh, my wife, she's a real estate investor full time. I am about half attorney, half real estate investor, I would say. But uh, door knocking and and doing it the old fashioned way and actually making telephone calls and showing that local presence is is actually been our kind of way to moving forward because we get so many investors kind of speaking of the coast. So a California or New York uh, resident, they can put, they, I mean, the, the amount of money that they have compared to a Midwesterner, it goes so much farther in the middle region of the country, Southwest, Midwest. So they oftentimes send flyers out. They'll sometimes make calls, but a lot of times they will farm that out to a, a, a virtual assistant or something like that. And I have noticed that the whole local touch has won out on multiple deals when people have been contacted by 10 wholesalers. Um, so, so specifically, boots on the ground, being able to see which houses are, are not being well cared for, actually going out on the, uh, so I, um, because I'm an attorney, I have access to it, but uh, the public does as well. Um, so like the secure, 
I don't know what it'd be called in Canada, but basically it's like the secure uh, court system access. So I can see like probate records, tax liens. You know what, Jason, up here, we don't have access to that. Canada. Yeah. It's, it's a big difference. And I wish we did. Uh, The U S is very transparent that way where you can look up just about anything here in Canada. We have these crazy privacy laws where I think that that's a hangover from British law. I'm pretty sure, but you can't get that. We can't get that. A lawyer can, okay. but a, a citizen can, a normal citizen cannot get that. Yeah, I've heard it's about funny. that in the UK and South Africa, so it must be a carrier. Yeah, yeah, you, you, it's even difficult. Now it's loosened up a bit. It used to be, until recently, difficult to get uh, sold information on the MLS, like a house. You had to get a realtor to look it up for you. Now it's loosened up. At oh. least we've got that, so the general public can look that up. But that, sure. there is a big difference. The U.S. is very transparent when it comes to things like uh, past problems and registry issues and all that kind of stuff liens and whatnot yeah it's very easy to see who's behind who who you know who would be a good candidate to just they just want to walk away at this yeah so interesting and it's interesting it's interesting you mentioned uh, about people from the coast either from california or from new york uh in the midwest it's much more affordable and i think that's what we're seeing here in canada too the midwest of canada being alberta places like yep. saskatchewan and manitoba where prices are pretty low and uh, you're finding a lot of investors especially they're, they're sniffing around because the problem is here in the toronto area at least i can tell you for sure it's just so expensive that when they crunch the numbers it doesn't add up even with sure. three thousand a month in rent uh just doesn't quite add up so interesting times interesting times yeah. i know yeah. uh our market is still percolating along, uh, which just blows my mind. I really thought we had eight interest rate increases in about 14 months, eight. Mm-hmm. And you guys yeah. had about the same. Now, your market, I believe, has started to cool off a bit, which is more sensible. It it's has. A, it, it's yeah. still it's very variable based on where you're at. But it, it has, I would say, cooled, but it's still not stabilized. Yep. We, we cooled off. But then it stabilized. Maybe immigration is part of it, but there's just a lack of inventory too. A lot of people are just holding onto their properties. And I think yeah. maybe in, the same in the U.S. where, uh, you know, they bought a house for 200000 you know, 25 years ago. And today it's worth a million here. Yeah. And they're just going to sit on that because they don't want to exactly. walk away. Where, where are they going to go? You know, yeah, so we exactly. Have- I, like just a, a for instance, so I'm in a town of uh, about a million people. Normal MLS pre-COVID was... I think 5,000 like is what we're looking at for like a single family house. That's how many were on there. 5,000, 4,000. We're at, okay. I think 1,200 right now is what you would see so, if you were on the MLS. So, you know what? I mean, what yeah. is going on? This is what I need to – what is happening? People just don't want to sell. And um, I feel sorry for the younger generation, especially for youngsters in their, you know, their 20s, first-time buyers, yeah. 20s and early 30s. It's going to be really tough for them because there's very little to yeah, buy. Right. Rentals is the same situation. Yeah. It's how are they going to, how are you going to afford $3,000 a month? Even if two of you are working, sure, that's pretty hard. You'll never save a nickel. You know, it's pretty hard. Yeah. No, I felt yeah. very fortunate that I, like I accidentally stumbled into this before things got crazy because I don't know how I, there are opportunities, but you're just going to have to work a lot harder for them. Uh, it was just kind of yep. just great earlier on. So. I know what we can talk about. A lot of Canadians have always liked to buy properties in the U S especially in places like Florida or, mm-hmm. or Arizona, uh, sort of winter type homes. That's been mm-hmm. a very big deal. Uh, most Canadians would would like to consider that, but they don't have a clue where they could even start. You know, how do how do I buy a townhouse in Fort Myers, Florida? I don't know. They were down there and they saw the sign for sale, 
but they're foreigners, you know, they're Canadians. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there a, a short and sweet answer you could give, or is that too big of a, too broad of no, a topic? I don't, I don't believe there's any restriction on ownership um, for Canadians in the country. Where I could, where I would come in with more complicated answers are, I know, and and we do actually have a specialist on the crew, not me, um, but she's an international attorney and she helps with a lot of Canadians because I know there are some special taxes that you guys will go through if you bought a house in the States and then put it in an LLC and the LLC is like directly owned by them in Canada. So we have to do some, some legal wizard, wizardry where we use like a limited partnership in Canada that owns the LLC and that avoids some taxes legally in okay. Canada. Um, but yeah, as far as I'm aware, there's no restriction on, on Canadian, especially Canadians um, owning properties in the United States. I don't think there's, uh, generally speaking for foreigners, there's not, but we do have kind of, I know with taxes and things like that, especially estate taxes, um, which is the best way, but, but they're better for Canadians and Europeans than they are for other foreigners. So we have spe special agreements between the countries, obviously your country and okay. mine are, are side by side. So right. uh, you right. guys get preferential treatment on a lot of things. So that's good. That's good. Well, we pay way too much tax up here. I can tell you that hands sure. down. <laughs> But um, and so that's good to know. Uh, and one thing I'm just going to say to the listeners out there that if you are a Canadian and you are considering buying a property in the USA, definitely talk to a lawyer, an American lawyer first or Canadian lawyer, American lawyer, and also to a tax expert, because these are important considerations. Okay. Big time. Big time. Yeah, you definitely yeah. I would encourage you, you to get a team if you're going to come down here. Yeah, for sure. Right now. What do you tell Americans if, if somebody comes into your office in Albuquerque and they say, you know what? Uh, we want to buy this farmhouse in Tuscany, in Italy. Uh, what would you tell someone like that? Because this stuff kind of it comes up. It I does mean, happen. Yeah. yeah, it does. What happen. would you What would you um, tell them to do? The 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 short and sweet answer is is what I basically just what we talked about with an American attorney. Uh, if you you were buying houses, you need a local expert. I can help you on this side of things, and I can set things up to a certain extent. But you're going to need a local expert. A lot of places that I've lived abroad. Um, I don't necessarily have context there, but there's usually an American or a Canadian who kind of helps facilitate that type of thing. So for instance, in Belize, there was an American slash Belizean attorney who was licensed in both countries and could help you negotiate that process oh, there because it is different. That's so, good. I know somebody that, that, who happens to be an attorney up here in Toronto who just uh, is having a house built in Costa Rica and she's going to move okay. there and retire there. So it's sure. going yeah. on. A lot of people are just saying, you know what? We're fed up with the rat race. We're fed up with the concrete jungle. Let's just go down there in some tropical paradise. And yeah, enjoy yeah there's and, a, you know, pretty much all the places I've lived in Latin America, there's a significant Canadian population. So, yeah. Oh, good to know. Maybe well, yeah. more so than Americans. Yeah. So. Well, you haven't seen our winters. If you, if you yeah, were up here in Jan, you'd understand. <laughs> no, I understand. I, yeah, I, uh, you're from I New Jersey. In... You know that, you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, so when I was working for the Calgary companies, um, I was living in North Dakota. So I think it's probably the closest oh, thing. Oh, my God. So, That's pretty close worse. to Winnipeg. So, <laughs> That's yes. very close to Winnipeg. It's colder in North Dakota than it is in Toronto. A hundred percent. Yeah. We, yeah, we so don't get I, that. I have an idea, at least. Oh, and yeah. you survived. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, so you know yeah. what that's all about, big time. Fierce and cold, yeah, long winters. Yeah. So I understand, I completely can empathize with with wanting to be in the tropics. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, so we've covered a few things. Definitely, absolutely, you must speak with a lawyer uh, if you want to do any kind of international investing. Uh, yeah. If we go back to the domestic front for a while, um, fixer uppers used to be a big deal here, big time. Um, 
when prices started dropping last year, that kind of cooled off because again, you're looking at what are you going to be able to, after you invest all that sure. money, fixing it up, you got to make sure you're going to have a profit. So that's kind of on hold right now. I'm not yeah. seeing so much of that uh, anymore, but we're still on a tear. It's just, and no inventory, just like what you're saying. So yeah. um, no, that, I, I think the markets, there's, there's quite a bit of a parallel between you guys and us. It sounds like oh, yeah. the same thing. Big time. Yeah. I don't the, know where the, we're headed, man. Everybody says, <laughs> where are we headed? I, so I wish I had a crystal ball. I could tell you. Right. I know. Nor I. I mean, everything that I've read, it's a, it seems like it's a pretty even split between people saying it's going to crash or it's going to keep going up. And then there's some people in the middle that are going to say it's stabilizing, but it, it it's anybody's guess at this point. I think, yeah. So. You know what? I honestly don't see any kind of crash. There's just too much demand. There really is. Yeah. And no matter where you are, no matter where you're like you're saying in Albuquerque, there's no listings. Dem yeah. The demand been, is there. Yeah. Yeah, at least in the states, um, and I, I think it's probably exactly the same in in Canada. Uh, we kind of stopped building around the 2008 um, situation, and so it never really picked up. But we have more people, like what you were talking about, um, and there's just there just hasn't been enough inventory. And they're talking about it's going to be year. It's not like you can you know make a widget. You have to make houses, which that takes a lot of time. You have to develop everything, and um, so it, it, they're talking about years before the inventory catches up to where it needs to be in a lot of areas. So. Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see a crash uh, personally, but but that's just my own opinion. So. I see on your resume here that you were a property manager for a while. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. With you're, my a brave, wife, my you're, you're a braver man than I thought. Oh my goodness! That uh, a lot of people that I know who were into property management. Uh, it's a stressful job. There's a lot of things that can happen there. Um, what are some some tips that you could give? anyone out there who's considering buying some extra properties and then having to manage those properties. Is there a bit of advice you could give anybody saying don't do that or avoid doing this or be proactive on this. end? I mean, we all hope to have a tenant that moves in. There was a great tenant. They pay the rent on time. There's no wild parties. You know, they maintain the house nicely, but is there, is there any tips that you could give anyone out there that practical ideas as a property manager, so-called property manager? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think there's a few tips it and it depends on which way you're going into it. Like, so for instance, um, my wife's a realtor. I was a realtor when I was doing property management as well. Um, it's a requirement uh, in this state, at least not everywhere, but um, okay. it's just going to be a property manager versus going to be a landlord property manager. I think it's two different things, but I'm going to say on the latter, if you have the choice, the area is going to dictate the type of tenants you're going to get. So I would be very selective if you have that option in what area you want to do property management. So a lot of the houses that I've that we've worked in um, with managing, it's in a university area uh, slash airbase area slash hospital area. So you get a lot of traveling nurses, you get a lot of air force airmen, and then there's also a space force contingent there, which is like our new our new thing, the space force. So okay, uh, yeah, so they're 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 military personnel, but they're very high end engineering type uh, scientists type of people. Um, and then the university, what I would gravitate towards, obviously, would be um, if you have the option and you're in that right price bracket, obviously like the, the professors, graduate students, all that, that, that those, they're usually very great tenants, same with, with undergrad as well. But, um, but that's going to dictate quite a bit. And then kind of spinning off of that is tenant selection is key. Uh, every single bad situation that we've ever had was probably due to an oversight by the owner or us being either, you know, not wanting to wait uh, for the right person and just really wanting that that cash flow. And I would say it's almost always worth it to just wait for the right person if you can. It's going to cost you more in the long run to just put the first person that comes through the door in there versus a week or whatever it ends up being. 
uh, to get the right person. Just that selection is so key. And then obviously having a, a good set criteria that works, you know, uh, credit, at, at least in the States, the way we would do it was credit check, background check, employment verification. Uh, we're allowed, yeah. So we're allowed to also, uh, um, require that you earn at least three months, the monthly rent, which that's with, especially with the prices going up, that is a really good thing. So, um, that we don't out. have that. That's a great idea. Yeah. Why so did, you, you, why didn't yeah. we think of that? That's, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So tenant selection is going to be key. And then just from there, if you get reasonable people who are, are willing to take care of the property and communicate, that makes things so much easier. And then just being on top of it, you know, um, fixing things that, Preventative maintenance is huge. Doing things in fall and the summer, shutting down systems, working on them, that that prevents a whole lot. I've seen a lot of problems where landlords, specifically ones that are from out of state, they just kind of, it's just cash to them. They don't think about it as an actual asset, but like these things so do true. have running costs. So, yeah. So true. Words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. <laughs> it's, it's common sense, but it was hard one to be perfectly honest. Yeah, a lot of this. So. Well, I've, I've learned a few lessons along the way, the hard way too. Absolutely. And it's, I don't know about there, but here it's very difficult to get rid of a bad tenant. It's almost sure. impossible. It takes months and months. You have to go to a tribunal to make okay. a case in front of a, like a jury to say, this is, this guy hasn't paid me for six months. Sure. And so it's, it's a big mess. It's so important. I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Certain parts of the country are that way. That's that's another reason why the coastal people tend to prefer the middle uh, the middle of the country is um, specifically the more conservative states, landlord friendly states. They are extremely landlord friendly, and so by that not you, here. It's yeah, I, I'm aware. I'm aware of that. Uh, like so, I think we we tend to as Americans complain about things, but we probably have it pretty easy compared to <laughs> compared to some other countries. So um, yeah, but California, New York, they're kind of known for that. Very difficult rent control things like that. Very difficult to got select. That. We got that. Yep. Sure. So there you go. But real estate still, I always tell uh, on a lot of podcasts I mentioned, real estate is still the best way to go for any investment. I, so. uh, I have met, I haven't hardly met anybody who said, you know what? I became a millionaire through the stock market. In fact, I don't think I've ever met anyone, not one single sure. person, but I've met many, many, many people who became wealthy through real estate. Yeah. Just I think you do have to be realistic about timelines and that's yes. not going to be as passive as you might think. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, so true. Sure. Well, listen, Jason, this was a great chat, man. It was a great talk. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on today. And, no, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. It was, it was good to talk to you. My pleasure. We should talk. We should have another one of these sometime. Yeah, that'd be great yes. to do a check-in every once in a while. Sure. Okay. All the best to you, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Randy Selzer Real Estate Podcast. Follow us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And check out our main website at randyselzer.com for much more valuable info on the Canadian real estate scene.